Well, thanks to Jared and the group, and thank you all for being here. A good morning to everyone. Good morning. Hey, today we find ourselves in the second week of our study of the book of Ruth. And so if you walked in and you did not get one of these companion guides and you would like one, raise your hand high right now and our ushers will bring you one. These are to be used to just kind of follow along uh, with the study as well as there's some life group notes in there. One thing I want to let you know about this is uh, all of the, the translation that was used in this booklet is the English Standard Version, which is what Seth will generally teach out of. In your Bibles, in front of you is the New International Version, and that's what I'm going to be sharing from today. So if it doesn't match up exactly, uh, you will know why. Uh, my name's Ken. I'm the Connections Pastor here, and so I guess my responsibility is helping you connect to others and to our church family. And so if I've never met you, I would love that opportunity. And if you'd like to get connected here, I'd love to help you out with that. So this morning, we're going to take a look at the book of Ruth. But I want to start with this statement. And I want you to think about this. Our trials will make us bitter or better. Actually, close your eyes for a moment and just think about those things in your life that have perhaps caused some bitterness? And have those things made you better or bitter? I'm sure we all have things in our lives. All right, you can open them back up. Um, we will get back to that topic shortly, but I wanted to give you a brief recap of where we were at last week. Act one, scene one, if you were, will. Uh, if you weren't here uh, last week, uh, we met a guy by the name of Elimelech. He was married to a gal by the name of Naomi, and they had two sons, and they were from the town of Bethlehem. So they were Israelites. But there was a famine that had happened in Bethlehem. And because of the famine, they decided to move to the area of Moab. And Moab was actually kind of a hostile country to the Israelites. The Moabites and the Israelites did not get along. So this was kind of a big deal to move to that area. Well, they get there. Shortly after they get there, Elimelech dies. So the husband of Naomi passes away. But the boys, the boys both get married. They mar marry two Moabite gals. One's name is Orpah. The other is Ruth. But then about eight or nine years after living there, both of the boys uh, lose their lives. They both pass away. We're not sure why. And now Naomi finds herself widowed, and she's got two widowed daughters-in-law. And so pretty devastating circumstances. These gals find themselves displaced, de destitute, and devastated over the circumstances that have occurred. And I don't know about you, but if I had gone through that much, if I had lost my children and found myself living in a land that was not my own, uh, I might develop a little bit of bitterness in my life. I might, you know, be a, a bit unsettled over things. Well, over the course of that time, um, that's kind of what happens to Naomi. So the book of Ruth starts uh, without much hope or joy. And perhaps some of you can relate. Uh, maybe you've lost a loved one recently. Maybe that person was your uh, very best friend. Uh, for some people, they've lost multiple loved ones. And when that happens, uh, it's like your hopes and your dreams also die with the passing of that person. And that can be really uh, devastating. Uh, for others within our community, I know that uh, there are people that have been displaced from their homeland. Maybe you moved away from your city or your country because of a political climate, 
and you had to uproot and leave everything you loved and move somewhere new. Perhaps it was just simply that where you were at, there was no longer work, and so you had to relocate to a different area, and so you leave everything that you'd loved. And for some, it's, it's maybe not quite as dramatic, but maybe you've had your very best friend moved away, and they're no longer here with you. Or, or perhaps uh, you tried to uh, apply to this school, it was the school of your dreams, and you got a rejection letter. I mean, the reality of life is we all face circumstances uh, which cause pain in our lives. We all have some level of pain that we're dealing with. So now we're going to pick it up in Act 1, Scene 2, if you will, and we're going to look at Ruth chapter 1, verse 6. So if you want to follow along, Ruth chapter 1, verse 6, and it actually brings a glimmer of hope. It says this, when Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them, she and her daughters-in-law prepared to return home from there. So they've been gone from Bethlehem for 10 years, and she hears that the Lord has visited Bethlehem, and that he's brought rain and crops, and there's a harvest again. And she's like, there's no reason for me to remain in Moab, her land of so much loss, and she decides, I'm going to move back to Bethlehem, to my people. And so she does that, and she packs up, and she starts to head that way. But this would have been a foreign land and a foreign people to both Orpah and Ruth who were going along with her. Then uh, verse 7 says this, when Naomi heard, I'm sorry, with her two daughters-in-law, she left the place where she had been living, and they set out on the road that would take them back to the land of Judah. So for whatever reason, these daughters-in-law decide they want to come along with Naomi. There must have been something about Naomi. There must have been something. These gals both loved her deeply, and they were willing to leave their families, leave their homeland, and go with her to this place. After all, she was their mother-in-law, not their mother, right? I mean, I don't know. For some reason, over the years, mother-in-laws have gotten a bad rap, haven't they? I mean, for many people, their relationship with their mother-in-law has been of one, one of tension and strain, but not in this case. It appears that both Orpah and Ruth are extremely devoted to Naomi, and they love her deeply. By the way, my mother-in-law's name happens to be Ruth. I don't know. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? And we actually have a great relationship, so maybe we're the exception. I don't know. I hope you all have good relationships with your mother-in-law, but... I digress. So as we look at this text, though, it's interesting because the author in, the, in verses 6, 7, and 8 uh, talks about these two girls, Orpah and Ruth, as daughters-in-law. But then it changes in verses 11, 12, and 13 to where Naomi says, my daughters, my daughters, kind of indicating the type of relationship that she had with these two gals. So then Naomi, though, they, t they got on the road, right? They're headed to Bethlehem, and Naomi has a change of heart. And she says to her daughters-in-law in verse 8, she says, Go back, each of you, to your mother's home. Now, Orpah and Ruth had shown her kindness and love, and they, they dearly loved her, and they're committed to travel back to her homeland. But she says, Go back to your mother's home. She says, Life will be better for you back there. And it's interesting because most places in the Bible uh, refer to the father's house. Only a few times does it refer to the mother's house or the mother's home. And I wonder if the author was trying to indicate uh, to these two girls and to the audience what a special place a mom played in the role of a mother or of daughters preparing for marriage and having a home. And so she's encouraging them, go back to your mother's home. 
in hopes that they would remarry and have children again. She even goes so far as to pray a blessing over them. Here's what she says. May the Lord show you kindness. Like this is her prayer for them. As you've shown kindness to your dead husbands and to me. May the Lord grant that each of you will find rest in the home of another husband. This is a selfless prayer. This is a loving prayer. She wants both of these girls to go back and to find love again. And to find rest in their mothers or in their husbands' homes and to find joy again. But here's what happens in verse 9 Then she kissed them goodbye and they all wept aloud, but they said to her, We will go back with you to your people. So they decide, We're not going to listen to what you're saying. We still want to go back with you and be with your people. They love Naomi so much that they're still committed to going with her and to live with her. So Naomi, she alters her tactics at this point from trying to convince them that their life will be better back in Moab where they could remarry to explaining to them the negative repercussions of following her back to her homeland. And she starts at this point to referring to both of them as my daughters instead of my daughters-in-law. So in verse 11, but Naomi says to the gals, return home, my daughters. Why would you come with me? Am I going to have more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. I'm too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me, even if I had a husband tonight and then gave birth to sons, would you wait until they grew up? Would you remain unmarried for them? This sounds weird to us, doesn't it? This sounds crazy in in our Western world. But what Naomi was referring to was a tradition or a command found in Deuteronomy 25 where where what's instructed, it's called the lever-up marriage. Uh, If a husband was to die, it was his brother's responsibility to marry the widow and to provide for her and her family. And this would enable the family name to carry on and the family to be cared for. And in this patriarchal society that they lived in, most of the wealth resided with the men. And so a widower uh, would really not have a, a good future ahead of her. She wouldn't have any resources. And so this commandment gave by, by God was a way to show love and care and make sure that that, that widower and her family was carried on. So that's what she's talking about. But here's what happens. Uh, verse 13 Naomi says, no, my daughters, it is more bitter for me than for you because the Lord's hand has turned against me. This is the first time we start to get a sense that Naomi has developed a little bit of bitterness over the harsh events of her life. And reality is it's understandable. She lost her husband and her two sons all within a 10-year period. I think any one of us experiencing that type of pain might develop a little bit of bitterness. But Naomi has not lost faith in her God, but she does believe that he has dealt her this brutal blow of loss. Verse 14, at this they wept aloud again. Then Orpah kissed her mother-in-law goodbye, but Ruth clung to her daughter. So one daughter's daughter-in-law is convinced, my prospects for a good life are better back in Moab I should head back home to my family and to my people. And in that very moment, Orpah walks off the pages of Scripture forever and returns to her home. But Ruth, Ruth clings to Naomi. She hangs on. What would cause this young lady to give up all she's ever known, to go to a foreign country with her mother-in-law where she's going to be an outcast and not know anyone? What would cause you 
to move to a foreign land, to follow someone to a foreign land. Maybe it would be their kindness or their integrity or their loyalty or their love for you. Or maybe it's their love for their God. There is something about the way they live, the way they worship, the way they trust, the way they love that makes following them more appealing than staying home and sticking with the familiar. There must have been something about Naomi. But Naomi is still convinced that it would be better for Ruth to return back to Moab. Here's what she says in verse 15. Look, your sister-in-law is going back to her people and her gods. Go back with her. Now Naomi turns to peer pressure. Your sister-in-law is leaving. The prospects aren't good if you stay with me and your sister's headed home. So why don't you just go with her? Why don't you just go back to her people and her gods? It's almost as if Naomi believes that the God of Moab or the gods of Moab will treat Ruth more kindly than she believes that Yahweh God has treated her. The next passage here is Ruth's response, and it's considered uh, the key verses in this entire book, the most important verses in this book, and it's Ruth uh, chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. Here's what Ruth replies to Naomi. She says, don't urge me to leave you or to turn back from you. Where you go, I will go, and where you stay, I will stay. Your people will be my people, and your God, my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord deal with me, be it ever so severely, if even death separates you and me. What an incredible love and devotion. This almost sounds like a marriage vow, doesn't it? Until death do us part, I will stay with you till the bitter end. What a beautiful devotion. She says, don't push me away. Where you go, I will go. Where you stay, I will stay. How many of us have a relationship like this in our life? The love must have ran deep. And something about Naomi's relationship with her God was so appealing that, that Ruth not only wanted to be with Naomi, but with her God also. The same God, the same God that Naomi claimed had turned against her. Ruth goes so far as to say, may, your, may the Lord, your God, Yahweh, the great I am, deal with me ever so severely should I choose to leave you. And Ruth was a Moabitess, not an Israelite, but that didn't stop her from worshiping the true God, nor did it stop God from accepting her worship and blessing her greatly. And she was committed to Naomi and her God. You know, here at Salem, we frequently talk about having hand up and hand down relationships. And what we mean by that is uh, as we are journeying with Jesus, it's really important to have hand up relationships in our life. People who have been journeying with Jesus a little bit longer than we have, that we could learn from and look to as, a, as an example, people that can encourage us in our faith and in our walk. But we also think that it's important to have hand-down relationships, people who are maybe a little less far along the spiritual journey than we are, that we can be lifting up and pulling along. And I think when I think about Naomi and Ruth, Naomi must have been this beautiful hand-up person to Ruth. But at times through this story, I almost see their, their role toggling back and forth. There's times when I feel like Ruth is lifting up Naomi, and, and, and I think that's true in all of our relationships. So on to verse 18. When Naomi realized that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped urging her. 
So the two women went on until they came to Bethlehem. So they continued the journey to Bethlehem. When they arrived in Bethlehem, the whole town was stirred because of them. And the women exclaimed, can this be Naomi? Some of you grew up in a small town. And maybe if you grew up in a small town and one of the people that you've known for years picks up and leaves and moves to a foreign town and comes back 10 years later, that might cause a stir in the town. Like, what's happened? What's your story? Where have you been? I mean, that can happen, right? But we're not really sure. We're not really sure why the whole town was in a stir. Was it because Naomi was so popular and so well-loved that people were like, can this be Naomi? She's finally back. Her name actually means pleasant or gentle, and it's obvious that Orpah and Ruth loved her, so maybe the people are just thrilled to see Naomi come back. Or maybe it was actually that they felt that Naomi and her family had somewhat betrayed them when they left 10 years ago to go to that foreign land of Moab. Moab. And maybe they're kind of going, well, you're coming back with your tail between your legs. You should have never gone to Moab. And there could have been that kind of stir. Or maybe it's because, maybe it's because that when Naomi returned, she didn't look anything like she had when she left. She left with two sons and a husband, and now she comes back a widower with a widowed daughter-in-law. Perhaps the years had added age to her face, or perhaps the grief had changed the way she carried herself, or perhaps the bitterness had stolen her joyful countenance. Regardless, the town is stirred by her return. But as the people say, can this be Naomi? Here's her response in verse 20. She says, don't. Don't call me Naomi, she told them. Call me Mara, because the Almighty has made my life very bitter. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me back empty. So much pain, so much sorrow, so much sadness. But then I think about the fact that when Naomi uttered these words to those people, Ruth was probably standing right beside her. And she said, the Lord brought me back empty. And Ruth might have felt like, well, don't I count for something? But you know, bitterness will do that to a person, won't they? They speak words that they will regret and that hurt others. Well, as I was studying this passage, uh, I was studying with uh, Clayton Lindgren a few weeks ago, and we were looking at this passage together, and we looked at Exodus chapter 15, verse 22 and 23, and here's what it says. Then Moses led Israel from the Red Sea. So this is right after the Exodus, right? And, and he leads them from the Red Sea, and they went into the desert of Shur. For three days, they traveled in the desert without finding water. So there were no rest areas, no convenience stores, no bottles of water, nothing, right? It's dry, it's hot, they can't find anything. Then they come upon some water. When they come to Mara, they could not drink the water because it's bitter. They finally show up somewhere that they think there's going to be water to drink and it's bitter and it's no good for them. And it says that is why the place is called Mara, which means bitter, which is what Naomi said, I want you to call me bitter because my life is bitter. But then we continued reading Exodus 15. And the next place we came to, uh, or the next place the Israelites came to, provided good water, and the place was called Elam. In verse 27, it says, they're talking about the Israelites, then they came to Elam, where there were 12 springs and 70 palms, palm trees, and they camped there near the water. 
I mean, they come upon this oasis. Now, it may be a little bit of a stretch to say this, but as you look at the word Elimelech, it starts with those same four letters, Elam, right? Elimelech actually means my God is king, but Elam is referring to an oasis, a place where there's, there's water and there's shade and goodness. And Naomi's name means pleasant or gentle. And when I think about Elimelech and Naomi being married, I wonder if they didn't just have this amazing marriage and that life was great. And all of a sudden, all of that got ripped away. And now Naomi says, call me bitter. My life has become bitter. Oh, verse 21, she goes on, why call me Naomi? The Lord has afflicted me. The Almighty has brought misfortune upon me. There's a bitterness that's developed in Naomi. And I don't know how many of you struggle with bitterness, but I I think at some level, because we all face pain in our lives, at some level we all face bitterness. Maybe it's a sickness you have. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one. Maybe it's uh, parents that just treated you poorly for years. Maybe it's an abusive relationship. I mean, we have all faced pain in our life, and we are all subject to potentially facing bitterness. And at some level... Um, the root of bitterness is a lack of forgiveness, and it's a fermented anger that happens within us. I want to take you just briefly to the New Testament, to Hebrews chapter 12, verse 14 and 15, which is, shares some really important words with us. This is, you know, the writer here is trying to encourage Christ followers, and he says, make every effort to live in peace with everyone to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. Then he goes on to say, see to it that no one falls short of the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. You see, bitterness is a big deal. Bitterness hurts our ability to see clearly. Bitterness hurts our ability to love. It hurts our ability to trust our loving God. And so how do you you know if you battle with bitterness? How do you know if this is a problem in your life? The first question I'd ask you is, do you feel anger when you hear someone's name? Just the mere mention of their name sparks something in you, and you feel this anger boil up in you. The second question, do you have imaginary conversations with someone who wronged you? Do you continue to think, you know, this is how I would say it if we ever had a chance to talk again? And that conversation just replays The third one, do you regularly replay a bad experience over and over in your mind? I just can't let it go. I keep thinking about it. And the fourth one is this, are you happy when someone else fails? Like if any of those are true for you, you probably experience bitterness at least at some level. And Naomi was getting bitter at God because her life didn't turn out the way that she had hoped. Now, this past weekend, I was kind of studying bitterness because I don't really think I fully understood like what it was and what you should do with it. And so I listened to this podcast. Uh, by it was, I found it on FamilyLife.com, which is a ministry of crew. And they were interviewing this guy named Stephen Viers, who had written a book called Overcoming Bitterness. And he said that there are three ways that we experience bitterness. One, and I, this might be the, the least harmful way, is bitter words or bitter behavior. You know, it's something I do or something someone does to me. Maybe they say something that is bitter and harmful, or maybe they act in a way that is bitter or harmful. 
The second way he says that we experience bitterness is through our circumstances. Something I face, right? Naomi is facing bitterness because of the loss of these loved ones. When we look at other characters in the Bible, Joseph from the Old Testament, like he experienced bitterness, or he could have experienced bitterness as he was sold into slavery by his brothers, right? That would be his circumstances. Hannah was a woman that dealt with infertility. Those are all circumstances that could cause bitterness in your life. But the third level, he said, is bitterness in our heart. Proverbs 14.10 says, the heart knows its own bitterness. You see, some people have just become bitter people. You live bitter, you think bitter, and you feel bitter. It's come to dominate your life. Maybe define your life, define the way you think. Now, some bitterness that we have only rears its head on, on rare occasion, maybe when we hear the name of somebody we don't hear very often. Uh, but for some of us, we have a bitterness that just exists right below the surface, ready to pounce at any time because it's so deeply seated in our lives. I, I was thinking about these questions. I was thinking about bitterness. I was like, who have I been bitter at over the years? And uh, I don't know why, but uh, this last week I was thinking about this and I realized that I've been carrying bitterness for over 40 years for my high school baseball coach. I realize every time his face shows up on Facebook, I have this feeling that's not completely healthy, okay? And I was like, well, what was the, the cause of that? And he started as my baseball coach my senior year. I, I didn't know him before that. And for whatever reason, he and I did not get along at all. We just didn't see eye to eye on things. And one day we're having a practice, and he starts kind of riding me, giving me a hard time. Now, I had heard that when he was in high school, he had a nickname that he didn't particularly care for. And so at this particular moment, I thought, I might use this nickname. <laughs> so he's giving me a hard time. And I'm actually not using the real nickname in case he ever watches this. But I said, I looked at him, I said, whatever, cream puff. And he looked at me like he wanted to pounce on me. Like if he wasn't an adult <laughs> with some level of restraint, he probably would have walloped me. And he looks at me and says, Boney, run a mile. And so I've got my baseball cleats on, I put my, I've got a hoodie on, I put up my hood, and I'm just running a mile around the track at Bishop Montgomery High School, and with every step, my bitterness is just growing, and I'm thinking just bad thoughts about this guy. And that ended up being like the beginning of a very aggravating senior season of baseball, and the tension between that head coach and I uh, lasted all season long, but I didn't realize, like, I developed bitterness towards him. And I just realized that I've been carrying that with me for decades. And so I've been kind of personally trying to work through some of this stuff, work through forgiving. Um, our former el elder uh, ch chair, a guy by the name of Don Blevins that maybe many of you know, would say this phrase quite frequently. And I think it was Pastor John Ortberg that maybe he got it from. And it's this, bitterness is like drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Bitterness is like me drinking rat poison and waiting for the rat to die. Generally, the only person that's being hurt by your bitterness is you. The only person, like your bitterness doesn't really hurt that other person. Maybe it hurts your interactions with them. But for the most part, they're totally unaware of it. But your bitterness is eating you alive inside. 
whether it's bitterness towards a person or towards a circumstance, it, it does nothing but hurt you. And frequently, your angry feelings towards someone or some situation just continue to hurt you. And the bitterness that has developed in Naomi is in some ways poisoning her. So I want to talk to you about how you can battle or overcome bitterness. How you can battle or overcome bitterness. The first thing I would recommend is this. It's talk to God about it. For some reason in our evangelical world, uh, we've heard this message of like, we just can't be honest with God. We can't tell him how ticked off we are or how hurting we are or sad we are. And yet, the Psalms, one-third of the Psalms are laments. They're cries out to God. Why have you forsaken me? Why have you left me? Why have you let this affliction happen to me? When is this going to go away? God wants us to be honest with him. He wants us to come to him with his complaints. The biggest thing, important thing is to not stop talking to God. Don't stop talking to him because he will meet you in that. He will help you through that. And so talk to God about it. Help him, ask him to help you see it as he sees it. You'll walk quickly to the throne of God and cry out to him. Go to God with the pain. The second recommendation I would have is this. Look for God's love, strength, and resources. Reality is when you are bitter, when I've been bitter towards other people, I have a negative narrative of that person. Every time I look at them, I believe the worst about them. And they can do no right, right, in my eyes when you've got a negative narrative. And that's because we're just believing the worst. And we've stopped seeing God's love and strength and resources. We've stopped seeing what God is up to. Our God is always up to good. He's always at work. He's working things together for the good of those who love him. And this is a matter of trusting in the sovereignty of God. You know, when you think of the story of Joseph, again, the Old Testament, he was sold into slavery by his brothers. He was forcibly moved to a foreign country. He was wrongly accused of rape. He was tossed into a prison. And looking back years later, he's talking to his brothers, and he says, you intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives and knowing that God is always up to something, even through other people hurting us. The third thing would be this. Be content with what you have. Often the source of our bitterness is a lack of contentment. Or alternatively, jealousy of what someone else has. Maybe it's their abilities. Maybe it's their possessions. Maybe it's their job. But be content with what you have. You see, Naomi was content until it was all taken away. But reality is, is that she still had a God who loved her. She had a person who loved her in Ruth who would follow her to a different country, a different place. And she had a people to return to. And she also had a future that she couldn't see in the midst of her anguish. And so it's so important to recognize all that God has given you and to be content with that. It's that like that idea of having an attitude of gratitude, being grateful for what he's done in our lives. The fourth thing is this. Ask God to help you see that person or situation as he sees them. I mean, reality is we get mad at people and, and we don't know their whole story. We don't know their hurts, their pains, their experiences. We don't know what's happened in their life that has caused them to come to a place where they would do what they've done to hurt us. And so it's so important to ask God to help me see them as you see them. You know their story. You know why they're broken. You know why they're doing this. 
And when I do that in my life, like empathy grows in me, compassion grows in me, the ability to forgive and the ability to love them. And then the fifth is this, forgive. Forgive. And maybe this is the hardest step. You know, in, in uh, the Lord's Prayer, he says, he says to pray, forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. He also, Jesus commands us uh, that when we come to give a tithe or offering, that like if we've got an issue with somebody else, that we should go reconcile that before. And we're encouraged to do the same thing before we have communion. Like God wants us to forgive one another. In Matthew chapter 18, uh, Jesus is asked like, what should I do when somebody's hurt me? When somebody's harmed me, and he says the very first thing to do is to go to that person one-on-one, to go and have a conversation with them. And I don't, you know, when I think about it, I think that 95% of the things that explode into family issues, church issues, job issues, country issues, would be reconciled and squashed out if, that, if we would just follow that one rule, Right? If we would just follow that one recommendation, go to that person one-on-one and try and reconcile with them. Now, here's the deal. You cannot control how they're going to respond. But when you do go to them, you can control the words you're going to use. You can control the posture that you have. You can control the heart behind it. And you can make every effort to reconcile that relationship, but you can't control how they're going to respond to it. But we're called to do what God asks us to do, to make steps towards that person and to forgive. And it would be, it's amazing. Like if you follow these steps, I'm not making any sort of guarantee, uh, but I think if you follow these steps and you do this in your life and you start to uh, truly forgive somebody, you will experience freedom from a bondage that has existed You will feel joy that you haven't felt in years because you've carried that with you. I mean, there is so much power in being able to release yourself of this bitterness. All right, verse 22, Naomi says this, or it says, So Naomi returned from Moab, accompanied by Ruth the Moabite, her daughter-in-law, arriving in Bethlehem as the barley harvest was beginning. It's almost like there's a glimmer of hope. Like now they've arrived and the barley harvest is beginning. Like there's something good at the end of this story, or at least the end of this chapter. And God has smiled upon Bethlehem again, and the crops are growing. And as you'll find out in the rest of the story of Ruth, bitterness does not stay with Naomi. And it's eventually replaced with great joy that she experiences. And here at Salem, we want to be a family or a community of Christ followers who struggle well together, who can be authentic and real with one another, but also who are able to let go of bitterness. And if you are sitting here and you're like, I struggle with this, but I don't know what to do, or maybe the struggle something just similar, or you've struggled to forgive, I want to make a, a recommendation. Drop by our resource wall uh, after service. There's three things up there that I want to draw your attention to. Uh, the first is a devotional called Even in the Darkness. Uh, many of you know our children's ministry director, uh, Sarah Hansen. Uh, last fall, she unexpectedly lost her husband who she'd only been married to for 80 days. And she said that she's been going through this book even in the darkness. And she said, 
It's very readable. It's easy. It's relevant with what's going on in her life. She said it's, it's helped with depressing moments. It's helped uh, talks to like lack of security or why did that ha- this happen or what your future is going to be. So if you find yourself in a dark season, consider we don't have the books here to sell, but we've got we can get you to where to find them. So check out that book, take a look at it. The second book is The Art of Forgiving, and that one's actually sitting over at the hub with our Connection Center folks. This book does an amazing job of walking you through the why and how to forgive some people. I think a lot of us want to forgive people, but we just don't know how. We know that it's incredibly hard to do if they've hurt us in some pretty serious ways. But I will tell you, it's one of the most important things you can do in your life is to forgive others and to forgive that pain that you've carried for so long. And so you can take a look at that book at the Hub. And the third one is a book by Max Lucado called You'll Get Through This. And we're actually going to have an adult Sunday school class that's going to start in about a month where they're going to go through this book. You'll get through this. And sometimes it's best to process this sort of stuff in community. And so that might be a real helpful resource for you. But finally, I would say... If you are struggling with bitterness, a community is a, such an important part of the solution. Um, you know, maybe it's just simply going and having coffee with somebody you trust and expressing like how somebody else has hurt you and how you've carried this and just dialoguing out loud over that and getting their feedback and thoughts. They might help you see that person in a different perspective or see that situation, or they might help you see how much this thing's been hurting you for so long and help you walk through that. I want to return to the original slide. Our trials will make us bitter or better. Think about the trials you have in your life or that you had in your life. Have they made you more bitter Because God wants to use them to make you better. Let's pray. Uh, Father, it's hard for me to believe that there's a person in this room, unless there may be 10 or under, um, who hasn't struggled with some level of bitterness. Uh, We all face things in our lives that are painful. We have all had uh, disappointments occur. We have all had circumstances that were out of our control that seemed to spiral in ways that we didn't want, and it leaves us feeling like we've lost something or been cheated by something. And yet, Father, I think of, of your son, Jesus, on the cross. As he hung from that cross, he said, forgive them for they know not what they do. And for many of us, we might be holding bitterness or unforgiveness towards somebody who really doesn't know what they did, doesn't know how they've hurt us. Uh, Father, you forgave us for everything we've ever done. Uh, You gave us this free gift of forgiveness and redemption and reconciliation with you when we did nothing to earn it, simply out of your love for us and us surrendering our lives to you. And so I pray for every person that might have some level of struggle with this, God, that you through your Holy Spirit would help them to see the person or the situation the way that you see it, and that you would bring freedom and hope and help them to let go of that bitterness and for joy and love to replace those feelings of hatred and anger in their hearts. I pray that you would move mightily in this way. I ask these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.